0: Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I just want to introduce myself. My name is Kevin Choate. Like Bruce said, I am the college pastor. And today is a really special privilege for me because uh, eight years ago, I was a college freshman at OU, and I walked into these doors, and ever since then, I've really considered Wildwood to be my church home, uh, and, and people, when they hear that phrase, church home, they usually think, oh, you know, the church that I grew up in or the church that raised me, but for me, I had a lot of hurt in my past with the church, and for Wildwood, uh, their leadership, their staff, their volunteers, they poured into me as a college student and really redeemed a lot of that hurt that I had had. And so it's a special privilege to be with you guys here this morning to to open up God's Word and see what He has to teach us today, but also to to be the college pastor at a place that served me as a college student. I just think the Lord has a really cool way of kind of bringing everything full circle. So I'm so thankful to be here with you guys this morning. Um, One thing that you should also know about me is that I've been married a little bit over a year, and this is... My beautiful wife, Carly, uh, she is the global outreach direct, local outreach director here, and uh, she's been on staff since January, but if you don't know Carly, I just want to encourage you guys to, to reach out to her, get to know her. She's the sweetest person in the world, uh, but I just, I just think you guys should know that about me. Also, I need to know, who in here loves some Sooner football? Do I have some Sooner football fans in here? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so that's another thing about me. I absolutely love sports, specifically Sooner football. My brother, he's here today. It's unfortunate because he's a Longhorn fan. Don't give him a hard time, but uh, hopefully he still gets the illustration here today. But uh, I'm, I'm, I want you guys to imagine that time. Well, well. let me ask this. Who's been to an OU home game before? Has anyone been to an OU home game? Okay, even if you haven't, you've been to maybe a high school game or a different football game before, so hopefully you can kind of relate to what's going on. But one of the things that I love about football games is they are literally the most exciting thing in the world. I mean you're wearing the colors, you've got all the fans screaming and cheering, they're loud, they're excited, you're yelling the same chants, you're cheering the same teams, you're booing the same players. It's just a lot of fun. And, and in a sense, you kind of are all on the same team cheering on your team, right? You're, you're passionate about the things, you're doing the same things, and you're kind of working as a team. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about that is, You could hug the person next to you on the game-winning play, but at the end of the day, you walk out of the stadium, you climb into your car, you drive home, and you could have no connection to that person for the rest of the week. You could have nothing in common with that person for the rest of the week. And, And it's just so interesting that you don't know their struggles, you don't know their pain, you don't even probably know their name, but for that one moment on Saturday, you have this intense special connection because of OU football, right? And this isn't necessarily a bad thing that you don't know these things about these people. But I think it is a good picture or a small picture into how we live our day-to-day lives, our day-to-day rhythms. We have certain people that we put into certain categories. This is my coworker. This is my classmate. This is my fellow churchgoer, right? We have categories, certain categories for certain people. And for many of us, life can be less about the people around us and more about the distractions in our lives. It can be more about the things that we're distracting ourselves to to keep from experiencing or, or relating to the other people's experiences around us these people that we know in all these various categories go on living their life, and you go on living yours. In reality, some of us can be distant. Maybe that's because we numb ourselves with distractions, like OU football, like sports, like video games, like school, like success, like the stock market. It could even be good distractions like going to a baseball game with your family. If we looked inward at how we live, we could relate to this. We all have dreams. We all have desires. We all have passions. We all have goals. And oftentimes our actions follow a singular direction to achieve or accomplish those goals. In many ways, we distract ourselves from our own pain that we're experiencing. In this process of following this singular action, we miss out on our friends who are hurting. I would contest that singular focus for some of us, myself included sometimes, has become an idol in the way of allowing us to have eyes to see the pain that others are experiencing in the present in the here and now, in realizing that pain exists, not just in my life, but in others' lives as well. Now, pain is a very generalized word that I think we often use just for, you know, an umbrella statement. But for, for some examples that it manifests itself, I think we may find it come up in a depression and closing off our emotions you see it manifest in maybe refusing to read our Bible. Have you been there before? Maybe in refusing to pray, close yourself off from God. I've been there. I've been there. Pain, whatever is causing it, is a present reality that we just can't pretend doesn't exist. Yet we do, Right? We pretend it doesn't exist. I know for me in the past, I'll kind of take my pain, my troubles, my struggles. I'll kind of ball it up like a ball of trash. I'll crumple it up. I'll throw it in the air and I kind of hope it disappears. Just kind of take it, crumple it up, throw it in the air. and I hope it disappears. Well, friends, the truth for today is this. God never intended you to take your pain, throw it in the air and hope it disappears. There is good news today. He gave us a biblical blueprint in how to deal with our pain and and the pain of others. And that's through lament. Pain isn't to be ignored and the psalmist gives us a biblical blueprint. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up and join me as we read the passage of Psalm 13. That's where we're gonna be spending a majority of our time here this morning. And in this psalm, I think it is the perfect biblical blueprint of lament. Now, kids, if, you, if you're in this room, you're listening, you're like, Kevin, why are you talking about lament? I don't know what that word means. Well, that's okay. I'm going to give you an easy way to understand and process what I mean when I say the word lament. Lament is a way to biblically express sadness. A way to biblically express sadness. Okay, so let's go ahead and read Psalm 30. We're going to read the whole thing. It's only six verses. I hope we can get through. Okay, verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy with me. A lot of emotion in this chapter. A lot of emotion in this chapter. Here we see the psalmist raw, authentic, and open. We learned a moment ago that lament is a way to biblically express sadness. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Psalms, one of the probably the largest book in the Bible in terms of chapters. Almost one-third of the Psalms are lamenting Psalms. One-third. Now, I'm no expert biblical scholar, but one thing I do know about studying the Bible is that if something repeats itself over and over and over and over again, that means that we need to pay attention to that thing. Now, the Psalms, which is one of the most quoted books in the Bible— If almost one third is made of lament, I think it's important for us to figure out how we can incorporate that into our daily spiritual rhythms. And the good news is there's a biblical formula that we find in this chapter. There's a biblical way to explain to, to God the frustration and the heartache and the complaining that we have in a way that honors him in a way that honors him. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think for me growing up, I kind of thought that I couldn't really complain to God because I thought that was sinful. I was supposed to you know, just love what I, enjoyed what I had, be grateful for what I had, and just be happy. But if the laments make up almost one third of the Psalms, that means that God has given us a way to express the grief that all of us at some point in our life will have to deal with. This way of praying known as lament is how you live between hard circumstances and God's promises. Lament is how you live between hard circumstances and God's promises. It's a delicate balance, but there's a formula that we can follow in order to express our sorrow to God. And if you're taking notes here today, it's a really easy four-step formula of lament. And that's turning to God, complaining to God, Asking God and trusting in God, and when we trust in God, that leads us to singing and trust and faith. Now I don't know about you guys, um, but one thing that has been true in my life is that our pain has a way of turning ourselves inward. Our pain has a way of focusing on on ourselves, right? The sorrow, the suffering, the depression that you're going through makes you put on these blinders where you don't, you're not able to look around you and see that other people are going through similar struggles that you are, that they might be going through a similar pain, that they might be hurting too. Our pain consumes our thoughts, right? And we forget that there are other people around us who are going through similar things. And unfortunately, the truth is, our pain usually distracts us from what they're feeling. Unintentionally, our own pain can keep us from seeing the hurt and pain that others face daily. But I would say that one way that we can love them is by empathizing with their pain and lamenting it, asking God to work. And that's step one. Step one is turning to God in faith turning to God in faith. See, what we know and trust about God's character affects how we, how we interact in prayer in hard times. What we know and trust about God affects how we, how we pray in hard times. It's hard to pray in hard times and it's easy to pray in easy times. I'm sure you can relate to that, that, that thing where it's easy when it's easy and it's hard when it's hard. But what we know and trust about God's care affects our play, character affects our prayer life. Do we believe he responds in prayer? Do we believe that he's sovereign and rules over everything? In other words, can we say we believe and trust in God when the storm comes? Or are we relying on ourselves? One thing that I think is really present in America today, or really is a part of our history, is this idea. I'm sure you've heard these phrases before, but hey, you just got to grind it out. You just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is a core tenet of American culture, but it is not what is Christian culture. Christian culture is all about relying on God, not relying on self. And one thing that I think is relatable is that uh, whenever we're dealing with something, whenever we're dealing with pain or struggles, we we talk about it, right? My wife, uh, she reminds me when I complain to her about something that's been bothering me, or something where I've been hurt, and she says to me, and I hope this is encouraging to you guys as it is to me. Kevin, are you praying about it as much as you're talking about it? And it just hits home every single time because so often, whenever we're complaining. There's an interesting thing that happens, and that's the problem with our pain, our suffering, our unhappiness, is that we're not complaining to the one who is in control, but we're complaining to other people. We're, We're hoping maybe that they'll reinforce what we already think. We're hoping maybe that they'll give us this temporary relief. We're not complaining for the hope of change, but we're complaining for temporary relief from someone else. But complaining to God is the solution to silence. Complaining to God is the solution to silence. Another effect of the pain that we go through is that it often leads us to a season of prayerlessness or a drought in our prayer life. But complaining to God is the solution to silence. Let's read verses one and two and see how the psalmist uh, complains to the Lord, okay? Psalm 13, verses one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In Psalm 13, the first couple of verses explain to us how we can turn and complain to God. Notice the pain in David's voice. This deep belly cry of how long? How long, God? I'm sure many of you have felt that way. How long, God? He's complaining in a way that so many of us have complained before. Maybe not to God, but maybe to someone else. This idea of how long. And this how long phrase can be really, really minimal, right? It could be how long until I get my Amazon package in today? Or how long until this class is over? Or how long until I get that promotion I deserve at work, right? Or it can be as serious as, how long will I have to deal with this pain? How long will I have to deal with this temptation, this struggle? How long will my parents have to suffer in their sickness? Or how long will I be a disappointment? In this season of life that we're in, this COVID-19 season, where it still exists and it's wreaking havoc on our health, on our economy, on our unity where racial injustice is, in, is seen and the pain of many of our black brothers and sisters is on full display, one thing is apparent and obvious to me, and it's that the one thing that unites us as a nation is our pain and our need to lament. Yet pain has a way of giving rise to seasons of prayerlessness. We know that we need to lament but in our pain, when we see the pain of others, rarely, for me, until recently, has it been my first reaction. When I see pain and when I see things on on the screen, my first reaction isn't, I need to pray about this, but I get upset, or I complain about it. I don't pray for some reason, not always. But lament it cracks the door open to talk to God again. Some of you may be dealing with that season of of drought in your prayer life. Well, I want to encourage you that lament opens the door to talk to God again, even, even if it's ugly, even if it's ugly. At the end of the day, complaining to God, the only part of lament is still a conversation with God. You're not ignoring or shutting yourself off from the one who loves you more than anyone on this earth. And that leads you to step three. Asking God always, not always, allows you to depend on who he is, not who you are. Asking God allows you to depend on who he is, not who you are. The psalmist doesn't ignore the suffering or the pain that he's going through, but he recognizes it. I mean, he says the phrase, how long, four times in two verses. Do you know the amount of desperation you have to have to be able to say, how long, four times in the, in the span of two breaths? The desperation is real. And this idea of how long, it's, it's not easy to prevent your desire from moving into impatience, Right? How long? But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay there, does he? Remember, lamenting isn't just turning and complaining to God. The next step is asking God. Let's see how the psalmist asks God. Verse 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes, my enemies rejoice because I am shaken. I want us all to note the cry of faith that the psalmist has here. He says, Lord, my God. The psalmist remarkably changes course in the middle of these deep belly cries, these deep notes of pain and suffering. And he he makes this cry of faith in his Lord, in his God. Friends, this has to mean something for us. This has to mean something to us that even in our pain, we don't forget who God is. Even in our pain, we don't forget who God is. We don't forget that he is our Lord. In our struggles, when we turn to God, complain to God, and then ask God for a different circumstance or resilience to withstand the circumstance, whatever the case, asking God to change what is happening moves us out of wallowing in our pain and moves us to dependence on God. Notice the shift. It's not a focus on self, it's a focus on God. And whenever we ask God, whenever we're pleading with God, our focus is no longer on us, but it's on him and his power. It's a fundamental worshipful shift in behavior. Mark Rogop in his book Dark Clouds Deep Mercy has a quote that says learned desperation is at the core of lament. To be desperate on your need of God. To be desperate on relying on God. I need you. I need you God. This is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. I need you, God. It's the core of a lament. Learned desperation. And lastly, trusting in God despite the answer. This is the hardest one, friends. This is the hardest one. Trusting in God despite the answer. Let's see how the psalmist trusts in God despite the answer. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Once again, we see a change in the psalmist. He has turned to God. He's complained to God. He has asked God. And finally, he has placed his trust in God. It's the toughest part of lament, but it is the most important part. Trusting God is the most important part of the the formula. Complaining without trust is simple. Complaining without recognizing the truth of who God is shows a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is and his promises. And what he's done for us. Our circumstances may fluctuate. They may change. You may not be where you are here in six months. Things may be different in a year. Circumstances may change, but God never changes. If you ever think to yourself that because of blank, God doesn't love me, or because I saw this happen, God doesn't love them, I want you to remember this. Just remind yourself what God did. He sent his only son to die in your place, to take on the punishment of your sin. God loved you so much that he sent his only son. He didn't just send him to earth. He sent him to die in your place, in my place. Take the punishment of our sin. Complaining to the Lord is okay, but the second part of that complaint must always turn back to the truth of who God is. When God is not responding the way that we want, we need to focus on his goodness, on his character, which is unchanging. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I think it's so important whenever we hear, you know, these these talks or these sermons or whatever, it's like, oh man, those were some good points, but it's important that we take that truth and apply it to our daily spiritual lives, right? It's important that we take this truth and see how we can apply it to the daily rhythms of of our spiritual lives. So I've got some examples for you guys. How to lament, how do we lament? Well, let's start with the first example for you guys because I think writing these down if you want is, is important because language is important. Language reflects what we think about God. Okay, y'all ready for the first one? The first one, God, I know you're not blank, but it feels like you are today. Now there's gonna be an important comma at the end of the first, first phrase here, because this is the turn. The first phrase is our complaint. The second phrase is our trust, okay? So we turn and we complain to God, and then we trust in him, okay? God, I know you're not blank, but it sure feels like you are today next one, God, I don't understand why this happened, but I know who you are. God, I don't understand why this happened, but I know who you are. Next one, God, I hate this in my life, but I know there is hope in the future. Complaining is not the end. Complaining should move us to Trusting. Despite our changing circumstances, we can take heart knowing that God never changes. He never changes. Now for Christians in the age that we live in, it is so important to set our gaze. It's it's so important of where we set our gaze. What we look to, where do we find our hope? It's not in political leaders, it's not in policy change, it's not in our spouse, it's not in our family, it's not in our parents. It's not in our job. It's not in our career. Our hope comes solely in the salvation given us by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to read uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to it. I think it will be a really uh, good opportunity for you to take some notes in finding this fourfold hope that we find in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 3 three through five. It'll be on the screen. First Peter one, three through five. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this fourfold hope is one, born again, two, living hope, to an inheritance, and lastly, to salvation. Now, let's break it down one by one. Born again, what does this mean? It says here that we are born again because of his great mercy. Well, being born again, I think that can be kind of like lament lumped into another Christian phrase. But what it's basically saying is that we are a new creation. We all have a BC on our life's timeline where we had before Christ. Well, being born again means that we are different on this side of Christ, that we have a changed heart, that through conviction of sin, receiving his grace and responding with repentance and faith, we are born again. The second hope, it says, we are born again to what? A living hope, a living hope. Regardless of our present circumstances, we have hope knowing that it dwells in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't stay dead. He was born or he was raised from the dead, proving that he was 100% God and 100% man, having the power to forgive us of our sin. The third is we have an inheritance. As Peter describes, it's one that, I love this, it's imperishable. It's never going to die. It is undefiled. It's not tainted. And it's unfading. It's never going to fade away. It's kept for us in heaven, this future inheritance where we get to be with Jesus in glory. And the last is salvation. And this is the one that we see evident today is that we have been saved from the judgment of sin by the blood of Christ, and we are protected by God and his power. Because of Christ dying for us and taking on the punishment of our sin, saving us from our sin, we can go into those pearly gates and Jesus, uh, God can say, well done, my good and faithful service. Not because of what we did, but, but because of what God or what Jesus did for us. The beauty of lament is not just complaining or grieving, but it is the combination of grieving and declaring. Grieving and declaring. What you, once you adequately grieve, which God wants to hear, I want you to hear that, friends. God wants to hear your sorrow. He wants to hear your pain. He wants it all. That once you can do that, you can deal with that grief by declaring the truth that you know. Trials are guaranteed. Pain is guaranteed. But you know what else is guaranteed? God's character. He's always faithful, never failing. And yes, he's always there when you need them. This week, I challenge you guys to turn, complain, ask, and trust in God. Lament what needs to be lamented. Let me pray with us. Dear God, thank you so much for the truth found in your word. Thank you so much that we have the opportunity to approach your throne and lament what needs to be lamented. Give us opportunities this week to see where we can grow in our faith in you and our love for others, and how we can lament that which needs to be lamented. God, we pray all these things in your Holy Son's name. Amen.